Bibles, come looking at Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21. And uh, I personally arranged for Diane to be off Sunday school today so she could be here to listen to this message. Okay, it's really important that she listens to this message today. Okay. <laughs> you know, I, want to, well, I just want to share, you know, in life, the things that make life really worth living are relationships, you know. No one, said, no one says on the deathbed, oh, I wish I spent more time in the office. They always say, I wish I spent more time with the person and the people that I love. See, what makes life really worth living isn't the things that we own or the places we live or the cars we drive. It's the people we share our life with. And these things, these relationships that are formed, are vital to make life worth living. Now, so often we can prioritize activity, but activity can rob us of intimacy. Remember hearing a story by Adrian Plass? Who's ever heard of Adrian Plass, the author? Right, he was involved in ministry, and uh, one day he was out and about, rushing around from here, there, everywhere, and uh, he comes home and he finds a note next to the telephone. It says this, family in crisis. Meet at Little Chef at 5.30. So he rushes down to find his own wife and children there at Little Chef. He says, what are you doing here? And they said, we are the family in crisis. Because <laughs> you've been so busy doing lots of things, you've forsaken your relationship with us. You know, and I want to just say, as men particularly today, we can be so focused on achieving, on trying, on moving forward, and forget the most important things in our lives. You know, whether you're a father or husband, whether we're together as husband and wife, these things are so important in the heart of God. Freddie Mercury, the, 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 the lead singer of Queen, used to say this, he admitted in an interview shortly before he died that he was a desperately lonely man. He said, you can have everything in the world, but still be the loneliest man. And that's the most bitter type of loneliness. Success has brought me world idolization and millions of pounds, but it's prevented me from enjoying the one thing that we all need, a loving, personal, ongoing relationship. See, we were designed today for friendship. We were designed for relationships. We were not designed to live on our own. It says in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, God says, it is not good for man to be alone. Isn't that great? See, God has designed us for community. God has designed us for family. And these relationships are vitally important to the heart of God. See, when we see God, we see God not uh, in isolation, but we see God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The very DNA of relationships is imbibed into the heart of God. And we need to make sure that our relationships are reflecting his relationship with us. See, we are never closer to God than we are loving and giving ourselves to others. When we are giving of ourselves to others, that is where we are the most closest to God. When we are reflecting his heart and his love into our world. But because of that, we find relationships are hard work. 
who finds relationships easy? <laughs> Fantastic. Now, because of the heart of God, the most important things are often the most challenging. Someone said to me, to love the world is no chore. My problem is the one next door. It is strange that the ones who are closest to us can hurt us the most. The ones who are closest to us can cause such tension in our lives. But it's on these moments when that true character is revealed. I was speaking at Nigel and Jane's wedding a few weeks ago. And I said, a great wedding is about finding the right person. But a great marriage is about being the right person. In all our relationships, it's not about the other person. It's all about us and allowing God to change our hearts, to, reflect, to remold us and reshape us into his image, that we can be like him. Is that right? Ephesians chapter 5. Let's turn there in a moment. Before we turn, I just want to say, we're going to talk about relationships for the next half an hour. And I've been married for 22 glorious years. That's my perspective. (laughs) (laughs) Ask Diane what she thinks. But you know, I still recognise that after 20 years of marriage, I've still got my L plates on. Huh? Is it 20 years? Really? (laughs) After, just erase the tape. After 20 years of marriage. That's terrible, isn't it? So we're all learning. And in life, we don't ever become experts. We just become learners. We've just learned a little bit more. Let's turn to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21. It says this. And this is why Diane has to be here. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands. Hallelujah. As you, <laughs> as you do to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, just as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the saviour. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. We'll just skip the next bit. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church, without stain or wrinkle and the blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one has ever hated his own body, but they, are, but, they fed, but they feed and care for the body, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. Whoever, each one of you must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Children, obey your parents in the Lord and do what is right. Honour your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you, that you may enjoy long life on earth. 
Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not to win their favor when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people, because you know that the Lord will reward each one of you whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free. And masters, do not treat your slaves in the same, but masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not treat them since you know that he who is both their Lord and master is yours in heaven. And there's no favoritism with him. Amen. Our first slide, please. Healthy relationships. God wants us to be healthy in our work life, in our parenting as children and our parents, but also in our relationships. And whilst today I'm going to be focusing on uh, husband and wives primarily, the values and the qualities that we see in these relationships can be reflected to each one of us in our own lives. You don't have to be married to learn the lessons. You don't have to be a husband or wife to learn his lessons. So our next slide. Tension. Tension between husband and wife. Who's ever been there? Who's lying through the teeth? <laughs> See, the Paul sets his overarching theme for this whole conversation in Ephesians 5.21. It says, submit to one another just as... You know, so we're called to submit to one another. Not just one to the other, but one to each other. There's a desire in God's heart that we will reflect that mutual submission that we live to serve each other. That's the heart of Christ. Acknowledging each other's strengths. And the word in Greek is hupotasso. And it means literally to stand in rank. To stand in rank. Not one is better than the other, one is more important than the other. But each one has a unique and distinct role in God. And you cannot do without the other person that relationship. But there is a, there's a role, there's a function that God has given us in this body and in our family, in our homes, that God has called us to function in a certain arena. So it's not about inferiority. I'm, I'm in submission to someone, therefore they are more important than I am. It's not that case at all. We are here to serve one another. Each one has a unique function that God has given us. We have to move into that function. See, marriage is not about competing with the other person. It's about completing the other person. It's not about competing, it's about complimenting the other person. There's things that my wife can do, cook, that I cannot do. And there are one or two things that I can do that she can't do. I'm struggling to think of them at the moment, but I'm sure I'm just... <laughs> Ah, putting up shelves. One. Um, yeah, so... So we, we live in a complementary relationship. And as a body of Christ, there are people around us here today who've got different gifts to you, different talents to you. We're not in competition with them. We are complementing and we are completing each one of us. In Genesis 2.18 it says, It's not good for man to be alone. I will send him a suitable helper. Suitable helper. Who needs a suitable helper? <laughs> the word helper in Greek does not mean assistant, does not mean servant, 
does not mean minion <laughs> or subordinate. <clears throat> the phrase in all of the instances in the Old Testament refers to a powerful and extensive aid and support. It's often used as soldiers gather together to help a king win a battle. It's not about being subordinate or being just an assistant. It's about being empowered to aid others. The, Bible, the word is used for God. God is our helper. He comes to our help. God's not inferior to us, but he comes to our aid. There's an equality of role between husband and wife, between each one in the, in the church, as we seek to serve him. See, women, women, ladies, we're created to complement men as an integral part of man and a powerful and influential companion for man on an equal footing with him. Isn't that great? But the word suitable creates me a problem. Because the word suitable in the original language of Hebrew means opposite or contrasting. The people God puts us with are often opposite to us, and opposite contrasting to us. I read a book when we first got married called Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus. <laughs> Diane is on another planet to me all the time. And I'm on another planet from her. We are so different in our DNA makeup, so different in our understanding. It's almost like God puts two completely opposite people together in the same room and just allows them to fight it out. Isn't that great? See, we're called to be different, but that difference is complementary. We work together for the greater good. The strength of one covers the weaknesses of other, and the strength and the weaknesses of other are covered by the strengths of the other. See, we're all called to work and to serve one another. We're so stronger together than we are on our own. See, everyone is called to serve. Everyone is called to submit their lives to others. We're called to invest ourselves into others. Paul, Peter says to the church leaders in 1 Peter 5, 3, do not lord it over others, but set an example to those in your care. We're not called to bully, to coerce, to push people around. We're called to love and to serve them with all our hearts. See, there has to be a plan in God's structure. There has to be a purpose between God's... There's always a, an order in God's economy. Without that order that God puts in place, there's chaos. But order does not mean exertation, uh, sort of coercion or bullying. It means serving one another in our defined roles. I remember when I was a young man, I used to play football a long, long time ago. And in primary school, it was chaotic. I remember my teacher, Mr. Basin, who was our sports teacher, trying to teach all these kids to play football. And what happened was, the ball was there, we had a goalkeeper at one end, another goalkeeper at the other end, and then 20 young people all round the ball. Like bees around the honeypot, just running around. There was, there was lots of activity, but there was no structure and order. And God is a God of order, he's a God of structure. He likes to have things running smoothly. And each one of us is vital 
to that economy of God, that purpose of God. Each one of us has a role to play. And we need to understand that we are not here competing with each other, but here to serve one another, to see the kingdom of God advance. It says about wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands. The word submit yourself is a voluntary decision to choose to submit to someone else. The husband doesn't force the wife, but the wife chooses out of love for her husband to submit to him. And we are called to submit to one another as to the Lord. When we recognize how God, how good God has been to us, how gracious he's been to us, we love to serve him. See, the man is called to be the head of the household. Someone said to me, the man can be the head, but the woman is the neck. (laughs) See, head is about authority. There has to be a natural order to our lives. So how does this work out in a normal life? Me and Diane, we are an equal partnership. We, We talk about the problems we face, we discuss it, and we come to a decision together about the way forward. If we do not come to a decision together, and the decision has to be made, because time's running out, someone has to make a decision somewhere, that is my responsibility. If things go wrong, it's my fault. (laughs) But as a husband, I take responsibility for the spiritual health and direction and life of my family. And Diana helps me greatly in that cause. But at the end of the day, God looks to me as a man to take the decisions and to lead the the family forward. It's not easy. But the woman isn't called to simply blindly obey a husband. See, in Ephesians chapter 3, women... Well, in Ephesians chapter 6, women are called to submit. But in Ephesians chapter 6... Children obey and slaves obey. But women are not called to obey blindly. They're called to work in partnership with their husbands. See, but as a husband, I'm not just leading my wife. I'm serving her. And as Christians, we're not here to lead others just. But leading is intimately entwined with serving. Remember, Jesus says in John 13, I am your Lord and Master, yet I stoop to wash your feet. This is an example of husbandry. We're not here to boss people around. We're here to serve and bring out the best in those around us. The heart of God has never been about coercion or bullying or control. It's always about serving. And the woman and the wife should respect husband. But the husband should also honour and respect his wife. See, without respect, foundations can't be formed. Without respect, nothing lasts a long time. I want to encourage us as a church to begin to honour one another, begin to submit to one another, begin to serve one another in love. Let's turn to our next slide, please. What a nice slide. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word. 
as Christian men, we are called to love our wives as Christ loved the church. The question is, how did Christ love his church? He came to die upon the cross to redeem her, to restore her, to make her whole. And this is the sacrificial heart of a man, the sacrificial heart of a God-filled man. That we're not here to bully ourselves and to rule our home. We're here to serve and to invest our lives into others. See, there are three words for love in the New Testament. No, there are two words for love in the New Testament. One word in classical Greek for, new, for love called eros. It's interesting to see the distinction between these three words. And you've probably heard this before, but I'll just recapitulate for a second. Eros is the love of attraction. It's, the, it's based on the human side of our nature. It has in it that desire to get. I've got to have her. I've got to have him. I want him or her for myself. It's about desire. It's about attraction. It's about a hunger for that person to be owned or to be loved by you. It's based on the flesh. That's eros. The second one is filio. It's love of affection. And it's often about that gushing emotion that we have. Those emotions that we feel where we put off our food because we love someone so much. We can't think, we can't eat because of this amazing love. It's the, the passionate, natural inclination of the soul to love someone. But that affection can be affected by our emotions and thoughts and circumstances. It's based on the soul life. But the third one of love is called agape. It's the love of action. It's the love of giving. Love as an active direction of the will. It is unselfish and seeks the best good of its object. It's based in the will of a person. It's based in the spirit of a man. I remember when I first met Diane, I very, romantic, very romantically said to her, love is not a feeling, it's an act of the will. That impressed her, ladies. That really impressed her. <laughs> turn the lights on, turn the lights down, play some music. It's an act of the will, sweetheart. And I want to just say this. Love is so much more than just an act of the will. But it has its root in that. That when the chips are down, when all the emotions ebb away, when we don't feel like it anymore, we choose to love. If I based my relationship with other people on how I felt, it would be chaotic. Because my moods change depending on the football scores, depending on what I've had for tea. My moods change. But we're called to live our lives with the agape love of God, governing and directing everything we have and everything we do. And as we do that, eros and filio come into alignment, find their fulfillment in a heart that is governed by agape. Does that make sense? So the emotional gushing forth and the, the physical desire for someone finds fulfillment in a person's heart who has been overwhelmed by the agape love of God. Still with me? Love gives itself up for its object. Love surrenders everything just to honour and to bless the object of its love. A favourite soul singer of mine, Percy Sledge, sang a song once, When a Man Loves a Woman. Who knows that song? It says that he will sleep out in the rain, 
He'll spend his very last dime, which I think is the American currency, isn't it? For the one he loves. See, when a man loves a woman, (laughs) I'm going to sing in a minute. When a man loves a woman, he will pour out everything he has for her. Just as Christ laid down his life for his church. So a man should lay down his life completely. Surrender his will, surrender his desires, surrender his aspirations to see his wife fulfilled. No greater love has this, says Jesus, that he lays down his life for his friends. It says here, he gave himself up for her. He gave himself up for her. See, in the world, we look at these great leaders, these great heroes, these great military commanders, but every world leader, every military general, every sports coach, every managing director will use your talents to fulfill his goals and dreams. They will use your skills to get their business, to build their empire, but a father who is a godly man will use his talents to see your dreams fulfilled. The focus isn't about him, it's about you. And as a husband, our focus cannot be about ourselves, but about those God has called us to love. In the church, it has to be about others. In Philippians chapter 2, it says, Consider others better than yourselves. My next slide, please, as we almost conclude, five more minutes. The right word. It says here, he died to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word. Joyce Mayer, who is some kind of preacher, I think, said these words. We can improve our relationships with others by leaps and bounds if we become encouragers instead of critics. See, when I first met Diane again, she told me that eventually a woman will become what a husband thinks of her. If a husband thinks she's wonderful, she's beautiful, she's incredible, she will become that. If a husband thinks she's a waste of space, she's rubbish, she's a failure, then she will just absorb that. Women have tender hearts. And the words that are spoken over their lives can cause them to blossom and grow or cause them to wither and die. And as people of God, we have a responsibility to those around us, not just our husbands and wives, but those in the congregation, those in our kids, our work colleagues, that we speak words that edify, words that build up, words that encourage, words that bring out the best in others. See, it says the word here for word is not logos, it's rhema. And the word rhema is the spoken, articulated, living voice. It's not enough just to read the words, but people have to hear it. That you are valued, you are beautiful, you are loved, you are precious. Because there's so many voices that echo in our lives from people who've said things about us that cause us to be broken and damaged. And so often we can live fractured and damaged lives because of the words that people have spoken out of our lives. But God today would say, it's time to speak the grace, speak the truth of his word over our lives. Many people are distorted because of the words that people have said. 
But God says he wants to create in you a spotless, a f- blameless bride, free from stain or wrinkle. Isn't that great? You'd save a fortune at Boots, wouldn't you? On creams. Thank you. But God wants to make us free from all disfigurements. Free to be the men and women that God has called us to be. You know, I want to just say something. I have a very strange sense of humour. You probably got that by now. But when I first met Diane, I was sarcastic. I used to think it was funny to put her down. I used to think it was really witty just to take the mickey out of her accent. I thought it was really good, clever, just to make a fool of her in front of my friends. I soon learned. <laughs> you know, men, we think we can be very funny, can't we? We're funny. We're funny guys. We're the clown. No, we can make everyone laugh. But sometimes we can make people laugh at the expense of our wives. And in fact, we're not being funny. We're being incredibly insensitive. And I've learned over a number of years to think before I speak. <laughs> and some of us today, we probably need to learn that as well. My last point, it says here, a husband ought to love his wife. The word ought to in Greek means to owe a debt to. We owe our spouses a debt. We owe our wives a debt. We owe each other a debt. And if we're not loving them as Christ loved us, then we are doing them a disservice. We need to put them first above ourselves. And we need to feed and care them and support them and just show them how much we love them. Today, we can prioritize everything else in the world apart from the relationships that matter to us. We can, we, I want to just say the most important ministry you'll ever have isn't Sunday school leadership, isn't preaching, isn't leading a church, it's your family. If you can't lead your husband and wife and family well, you never lead the church well. And God looks not at the big profile stuff, but the small things that take place behind closed doors. Because that's where the rubber really hits the road. That's church people today. We need to make sure that Christ is Lord, not over just our Sunday service gatherings, but every moment of every day, every decision, every conversation. Like I said earlier, I've got my old plates on and I see no, I see no signs of them being removed in the near future. <laughs> but God says he wants them to be joined together, that the two become one. And in Greek, that means to be glued together. And our last slide is cute. Thank you. It's only as we stand together, husband and wife, family, church, that we can face the future. I don't want to face this future on my own. I need people around me, and you need people around you as well. And what the devil does, he wants to isolate you from those around you. Before anyone leaves a relationship, they get isolated emotionally, they withdraw, they distance themselves, and they disappear. If today you're tempted to withdraw, you're tempted to isolate yourself, just stand against it 
and find someone to pray with you, to cry with you, to stand with you, to face this future together. Should we stand to our feet? Lord Jesus, today we thank you for what you've done on Calvary for us, Lord. You laid down your life for us, that we may also follow that example in laying down our lives for those around us. Lord, help us to serve one another, help us to submit to one another, and help us to love one another with an extravagance of love. And God, I pray today that the Father's blessing, the blessing of Almighty God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, will be over each one of us, Lord. That we will commit ourselves afresh today to live for you and to live to serve one another and to bring out the best in each other. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.